Thank you very much, Uli. Thank you for this invitation. And I'm really glad to be able to be here. I'm also delighted to be part of probably the less monotonic of all the many conferences on the Black Notebooks. This seems to be one which is the most promising, and I say that from the very beginning, when I first read the call and heard of it, it just seemed very promising and interesting, and the papers have so far justified that, so I'm really glad to be here. This, there were a lot of slides. Some people hate the slides and feel that I should not have slides and complain bitterly about them, and I apologize to them. But the slides are not for me, they're for you, so that there's something that will be useful. It's instead of passing out pieces of paper with quotations and such, and it's also uh, just generally meant to be audience-friendly. The first, I have several sections. Nietzsche's Nietzsche, Heidegger's Nietzsche. I don't have a piece of paper because I have no printer, so I have to use the iPad, sorry. Nietzsche had an ambivalent influence on Heidegger. We've already heard this, according to Hans Georg Gadamer, who reports what Heidegger's son told him, that at the end of his life, Heidegger was given to repeating, Nietzsche hat mich kaputt gemacht. We heard that already. And already in the Nietzsche lectures, already in the black notebooks, we are offered a Heideggerian reflex, turning what is inescapable, what cannot be gotten around, to reflect on overcoming Nietzsche, der Unumgängliche. Nietzsche, the inescapable. As soon as you think you understand Nietzsche, he escapes, just as Nietzsche himself tells us, and the phrase could serve as epigraph for Heidegger's black notebooks if one reads these as a kind of etche homo, or self-witnessing, <coughs> Nietzsche says, Whoever believed he had understood something of me, dressed up something out of me after his own image, not uncommonly an antithesis, Nietzsche's word is Gegensatz, of me. In context, Nietzsche goes on to invoke the Übermensch to exemplify such misreadings, a point to keep in mind when it comes to Nietzschean transhumanism. Heidegger scholars, indeed, most philosophers, tend to be less than familiar with Nietzsche. One tends not to read Nietzsche from The Birth of Tragedy to Etche Homo, just to name his published books. But not having read his books, Nietzsche tells us we must read all of them, hardly leads scholars to conclude that they do not know Nietzsche. Heidegger maintains that he offers his own resistance to National Socialism, reading Nietzsche, not via Hegel, but as radicalizing as Fichte, Schelling, and Hegel likewise radicalize, I quote Heidegger, Kant's insight into the essence of reason as formative, creative force, whereby we may recognize Heidegger's notion of Nietzsche's will to power as art. If Heidegger himself does not achieve this radicalization, it's because, like most of us, he reads the history of philosophy, uh, including Zainsgeschichte with the Y, through a Hegelian lens. And perhaps this is all we have when it comes to history of philosophy. The Hegelian optic totalizes, yielding consistency and productivity while blinding one to what Heidegger says, including his context, and to what Nietzsche says, particularly with respect to reason and knowledge, and hence to history for life especially relevant in the context of the Black Notebooks, which pit Heidegger's Nietzsche contra what Heidegger names life philosophy, which is a very specific German term, including Jaspers, Boimler, Löwe, etc. To vary 
Max Weber on Marx and Nietzsche tell me, and I'm stealing from Robert Bernasconi because he did this best first, but tell me what you think of Nietzsche and I'll tell you who you are. In Heidegger's case, he focuses on historiology as preeminent, requiring a study of Nietzsche's thought, but not as if Nietzsche offered any guidance through the labyrinth of the history of being. Asking how Nietzsche might serve as, I quote, transition, that is, a preparation for another beginning of the history of being, or being with a Y, the question is a setup. Nietzsche is the transition only in the sense that he metaphysically anticipates the consummation of modernity and thereby posits the end appropriate to the history of being. And with this end, which he himself was not able, Nietzsche, to recognize and know as such because he, Nietzsche, still thinks metaphysically as the ultimate and definitive proponent of metaphysics, the possibility of a preparation of the decision in favor of the other beginning is made ready. Thus Heidegger clarifies, contra Nietzsche, that in Nietzsche's thinking there is nothing referring to this beginning, and this already referred from early, in its neediness and its essence. At the same time, Nietzsche's name, Heidegger goes on to say, is synonymous with a certain imitation of his thought, including a new form, Heidegger's word is Gattung, of literature, a trend we just heard a, a talk on Heidegger's style, as many scholars have noted, to which Heidegger himself may be counted, dedicated to imitating Nietzsche. For Heidegger, Nietzsche articulates war-inflected modernity as what he calls the unconditional empowerment of power for unrestricted violence, unbedingte Ermächtigung der Macht zur schrankenlosen Gewalt. We may suspect we are entering the first phase of the onset of this consummation, he goes on. What possesses a decisive character, however, is only the knowledge of this basic content of the final Western metaphysics, which in turn depends on knowledge of how the essence of metaphysics as a whole is to be understood in terms, the theme of our conference, of the history of being, this spelled with a Y. The fact that philosophy has lost its relation to history is evident for Heidegger in the tendency to read between Herdelin and Nietzsche, a sign for Heidegger of what he calls, I quote, a growing thoughtlessness. The coordinate reference, Robert Berlusconi invokes this poetically in his The Question of Language and Heidegger's History of Being, is repeated several times in the Black Notebooks. Heidegger says, the entanglement in this errancy attains its peak when Hödelin is transformed, notably that's a backwards transformation, that's my gloss, into the Swabian creature that could possibly have been possible, but there you are. It's important, but extraordinarily difficult, to ask about the historical status of these notebooks. For all the debates, for all the grants, actually quite unprecedented in Germany, awarded to manufacture critical editions of Heidegger according to critical, certain critical scholarly tastes, tastes which themselves will certainly be objected to on both scholarly and critical grounds, little is resolved. Hermeneutically, we're not much better off. In what we might describe as Heideggerian ressentiment, Heidegger distinguishes the error, as he calls it, 
of 1933-34, there's a date, not so much in his misjudgment, he says this plainly, of Hitler, but much rather in what came to be expressed as a commandment of injustice, which Nietzsche called will to power, Heidegger's gloss. Heidegger can say that Europe has already gone under, that has gone over to America and to Russia, in which new world, the old world, will come to its end in the new century. I also heard a talk with different references on that. An indication less of Nietzschean twilight than Hegelian world night, that's a word, a world, a, a world night for Heidegger, pardon me, a world, Heidegger's word is world night, but the world for Heidegger may not go under, as he says, just to the extent, I quote, that it never began to begin with. If Heidegger can, rightfully I believe, present himself as opposing the Nazi appropriation or interpretation of Nietzsche, it will not be owing to another reading, telling us that the main lines of this politically charged will to power, Heidegger again, again challenges or decries Nietzsche's entanglement in Western metaphysics, this reading is translated to a political continuum, what have I lost? One moment, I'm not where I should be. We shall have this here. It will come back. The slide is out of order. There's nothing I can do about that. But we'll go here. But you can contemplate it. It's an awful image. This reading is translated to the political continuum when Heidegger writes, I quote, that nihilism attains its peak in Americanism, and unfortunately, it's embarrassingly accurate at the moment. Thus, despite Heidegger's claims to resist National Socialism by means of this interpretation, or his interpretation of Nietzsche, it's worth noting how very Nazi Heidegger's Nietzsche seems to be, whereby, think of Dasein choosing his own hero in being and time, Nietzsche plays out the essence of being in a battle of power situations and power relations. This combative aspect of the entity as a whole points to, the quote in Heidegger, a heroic mode of thinking. And yet precisely this thought is the consummate surrender, the metaphysical par excellence. Thereby for Heidegger, Nietzsche's fulfillment of metaphysics is the foundation of the final period of the modern age, we've heard this already, we hear it again, the age of consummate meaninglessness, end quote. The issue, we also heard about this, of the Roman Nietzsche, as opposed to a Greek Nietzsche, is contrasted with a specifically Nazi absorption, quite in the spirit of the age. For Heidegger, and this is his point, then contemporary Nietzsche interpretation, we can't forget who he was talking to, tended to foreground, but in fact nothing has changed. As a Nietzsche scholar, I can tell you that nothing has changed, nothing ever changes. The Nietzsche of the Wagner period, and yet without yet penetrating to the point whereby Nietzsche rejects the Greeks in favor of the Romans and the will to power that is technology one continues to see. Technology, this is the Machenschaft reference, is mere deviltry and romanticism. Setting Nietzsche into a Roman constellation, as a thinker who thinks in a purely Roman fashion, quote unquote, allows Heidegger to conclude, this is necessary, that Nietzsche could never comprehend, I quote, the Greek beginning of Western thought. 
The reading offered 1939 to 1941, GA 96 as we're told the dates, challenges Nietzschean or Junger style of will to power read in terms of its cliché Nazi articulation. This is the unconditional, I quoted it earlier, empowerment of power for unrestricted violence, which he quickly then associates with Americanism. By contrast, Heidegger claims to offer the knowledge of how, that's a quote, the essence of metaphysics as a whole is to be understood in terms of the history of being, with a why. Reading Nietzsche in terms of and against then dominant Nazi readings, Heidegger continues to maintain, sometimes aggressively, sometimes diffidently, quite as in his lectures on Nietzsche, that there is nothing to be garnered from the literature on Nietzsche. You don't have to have a professor coming into class and saying, don't read anybody else if you're going to be in this class, and that Heidegger says very plainly. One need read only Heidegger on Nietzsche's texts, readings which are, and this is surprising for a scholar who brings hermeneutics into phenomenology, fairly flat. Thereby, it will be neither Herdelin nor Hegel but Nietzsche, who will be named the last metaphysician and who remains entangled in metaphysics in spite of everything Nietzsche tells us about metaphysics. To say this is to say that everything Nietzsche thought he was doing, he was not doing. Thereby, this is the Heideggerian trope par excellence, such achievements are Heidegger's, Heidegger's own, innocent of Nietzsche's concerns. Thus, Heidegger becomes the only thinker to fulfill Nietzsche's thought, as opposed to those engaged in what he here dismisses as historiological trifling or theft, historische Spielerei, oder Dieberei. Only Heidegger has the capacity to bring Nietzsche beyond himself into the history of being. Now, I'm a Nietzschean to a certain extent, and most Nietzscheans simply dismiss Heidegger. I tend to defend Heidegger's reading of Nietzsche as far as possible. Let me explain. I was taught to read hermeneutically by Gadamer. Add to this a long apprenticeship reading Nietzsche himself across and against the received scholarly grain against other Nietzscheans. In consequence, I'm able to overlook quite a bit. And I use this forbearance call it hermeneutic generosity, Nietzsche calls it philology, that's his word, philology, to read Heidegger on Nietzsche, on Herdelin, on the Greeks, and even on politics and the history of being. In this way, it's kind of magic trick, I've also managed to read Alastair McIntyre's misreading of Nietzsche. He began his career at Manchester, stepping in for Wolf Mays in his after virtue because the book is so elegantly constructed Nietzsche or Aristotle in an almost Straussian style numeric constellation bisecting the book, a chapter square in the center, chapter 9 of 18, and then again at the end, the last chapter, after virtue, Nietzsche or Aristotle, Trotsky and Saint Benedict, that I felt sure McIntyre's had to be a deliberate misprision. I thought he had to be doing it on purpose, needing that misreading, as it was, was, is nearly everyone's misreading, and not less, because only thus would the argument of after virtue work as such. If Heidegger misreads Nietzsche on nihilism as he does, or will to power, perhaps most especially, and art very egregiously, I'm not all that put out. It doesn't hurt that as Nietzscheans go, I take Nietzsche's Zarathustra with a certain caution, reading it as I do, as a book, as Nietzsche tells us that it is a book, 
for all and none. So that for all Heidegger misses, he is spot on when he tells us, when he insists that we ask who is Nietzsche's Zarathustra, reminding us that Zarathustra is a prophet, indeed. Zarathustra is straight out of Zoroastrianism, straight out of the alchemical codex. That's Rabbi Zarathustra. Nor am I moved to comfort myself and others by saying, as Bert Magnus famously says, that if Heidegger's readings are not good Nietzsche, they are surely good Heidegger. If Magnus's leapfrog tautology was always silly, following the publication of the Black Notebooks, there is an insurmountable dissonance. That is, Heidegger is himself a hermeneutic reader, a historian, a philologist, a thinker. But which Heidegger do we read in the Black Notebooks? Now we're back to our previous set of discussions about style. Who is speaking? And while Heidegger is entitled to parse his history of being or being, being with a Y as he likes, it is as certain that he thereby misses aspects of what he calls the historiological. That everyone else has also missed this dimension in Nietzsche's specific case is not an excuse. For Heidegger was to have been one of the editors for the complete edition of Nietzsche's works, the Nazi edition, from which he fairly handily withdrew, and which to be sure never came to fruition. Nevertheless, the signal focus of Heidegger's reading of Nietzsche in the Beiträge, as in the Black Notebooks, as in the lecture courses, concerns Nietzsche's Nachlass, whereby reflection on the unpublished work on sich was fundamental to Heidegger's reading of Nietzsche, as indeed, of course, to Hödelin and Hegel. Heidegger is an absolute fragment. Denouncing Nietzsche's re- discovery, as he calls it, of pre-Platonic philosophy, Heidegger echoes, he repeats, mainstream classicists to this day with a certain violence, a bit more than necessary, as no one then or now would offer a counterclaim, maybe with the exception of me, insisting that the fable that Nietzsche rediscovered pre-Platonic philosophy will one day come to light in its fabulosity, the German Fabelhaftigkeit, for Nietzsche has indeed bequeathed the most superficial interpretation of these thinkers, that is, of what they thought, due to his very great obliviousness regarding what is reserved for essential thinking as that which is to be thought. To be sure, Heidegger will wish to stake his own claim for having made a rediscovery of pre-Socratic philosophy, returning to the beginning of Western thought, and even a step before the beginning with Anaximander, Heraclitus, Parmenides. Thus Heidegger refuses Nietzsche for their part, mainstream classicists go to the classics department and ask, refuse both Heidegger and Nietzsche. The parallels seem patent enough. If for Heidegger, Anaximander is concerned with the same question that concerns Heidegger himself, namely being, for Nietzsche, Anaximander is the first ethical philosopher, a firstling that makes sense of a focus on being and justice and becoming. When I first read Heidegger's The Anaximander Fragment. I assumed he missed a few beats at the outset. I said I was generous in reading, historiologically speaking, as he began by pointing out the numerological coincidence in 1903 of the simultaneous publication of Deals, De Fragmenta de Vosocratica, and Nietzsche's posthumous philosophy in the tragic age of the Greeks. 
Heidegger Newbert. I, I'm not going to read the German title, but I have it here. The text had already, because you have Greek English in your eyes, had already been published in 1894 in an early edition of Nietzsche's collected works that appeared when he was not Campos Mentis. In 1903, as Heidegger would also have known, Richard Erler, who was a family member of Nietzsche's relative, published his dissertation on Nietzsche's pre-Platonic philosophers, based, to be sure, on the Nachlass, including Nietzsche's lecture courses on the pre-Platonic philosophers, 1869 to 1876, presented at the University of Basel, some 260 pages as published in the KGW, not counting an, an 1874 course on the Diotokai of the pre-Platonic philosophers, focused on the doctrine of teacher-student succession in antiquity, and not counting his courses, they were voluminous, on Plato's dialogues, which Nietzsche gave as introductions and expositions throughout his tenure, tenure at the university, 1871 to 1879. In the Anaximander fragment, Heidegger reflects on Nietzsche as one, quote, from whose philosophy all too coarsely understood Spengler predicted the decline of the West in the sense of the Western historical world. And we heard from Professor Lindmark on this. Heidegger cites both translations from Diels. This is the wrong way, sorry. <coughs> but where things have their origin, there too their passing away occurs according to necessity, for they pay recompense and penalty to one another for their recklessness according to firmly established time. And Nietzsche, whence things have their origin there, they must also pass away according to necessity, for they must pay penalty and be judged for their injustice according to the ordinance of time, before taking the rest of his essay to unpack the fragment in his own diffusion. We can barely compare these translations, reading Heidegger in English, reading Deal's renderings and Nietzsche's renderings filtered through an impossible catena of reception and authority, prision and misprision. That's the problem for scholars, tacking through German and Greek and English. And French doesn't make it easier. Heidegger makes things no simpler when he reflects, I continue, that when, that when a translation is only literal, it is not necessarily faithful. It's faith, faithful only when its terms are words which speak from the language of the matter itself. For Heidegger, Anaximander's fragment speaks of that, yes, which as it approaches arrives in unconcealment and which having arrived here departs by withdrawing into the distance. For his part, Nietzsche flags Anaximander, the first philosopher, the first, not the others who wrote nothing, the first philosopher who leaves writing for us to decipher as inherently economic oracular legend over the boundary stone of Greek philosophy. How shall we interpret you? In his Basel lecture courses on Anaximander, Nietzsche writes, all of becoming is an emancipation from eternal being. For this reason, an injustice, consequently imposed with the penalty of perishing, will recognize the insight that all that becomes is not true. Heraclitus and Parmenides in one sentence. Nietzsche's indictment of the injustice of those beings who remain, or tarry in being, corresponds to Heidegger's errant 
and aletheic reading of lingering, of everything that presences by lingering a while, including, I quote, gods and men, temples and cities, sea and land, eagle and snake, think of Zarathustra, tree and shrub, wind and light, slope and sound, day and night, quite as he speaks of adikia, of injustice, and Nietzsche says, it is your guilt that causes you to tarry in existence, whereby Heidegger's reading of the Anaximander fragment returns to Nietzsche's account. As they linger a while, they tarry, they hang on. For they advance hesitantly through their while and transition from arrival to departure as they hang on. They cling to themselves. When what lingers a while delays, it stubbornly follows the inclination to persist in hanging on, and indeed, to insist on persisting. It aims at everlasting continuance and no longer bothers about Dike, the order of the while. The dependency of Heidegger's reading of Anaximander on Nietzsche's own is tacit. In the Black Notebooks, as we've seen, Heidegger is already at pains to keep his distance, pronouncing Nietzsche more Roman than Greek, this, for Heidegger, makes Nietzsche wrong. For me, on my reading, Heidegger is almost as silly as Bernd Magnus, worse than wrong. The history of philosophy before the other beginning on the pre-Socratics. In Heidegger's writing about the Greeks, there's a hidden community of interlocutors. Here I name only Schadewald and Reinhardt in the ambit of the Lamovitz and Jäger there are others, which may allow Heidegger's refusal of Nietzsche and the Greeks to come into focus. If we knew who they were, we'd know a great deal more if we talked about them. This includes the claim regarding Nietzsche's rediscovery of the pre-Platonic philosophers. Nietzsche emphasized the pre-Platonic rather than the pre-Socratic to foreground what he regarded as the bastard character or mixed style of Plato's writing. Nietzsche's animus contra Plato is inversely noted by Heidegger. Nietzsche is the last thinker to have sacrificed himself in favor of Platonism, for through the inversion of Platonism, he completely enveloped himself in it and allowed the overturned and the inverting to run out ultimately into the indifferentiation of the sheer powering of power. I have been talking about additions and translations and that, it's import and, and that is important to the current discussion. For without the publication of the Black Notebooks, without the publication of Heidegger's lecture courses, including recently uh, in, I picture, Ulrich Hase and Mark Sinclair's translation, Heidegger's interpretation of Nietzsche's second untimely meditation, we would not be able to raise Heidegger's important question to the philosophy of history and historiography and historiology regarding what he calls the history of being. In Nietzsche's case, Heidegger tells us, it is history that is foreclosed. And Heidegger also reminds us, thus the relevance of Seinsgeschichte with the why, all historiography predicts what is to come from images of the past determined by the present. It systematically destroys the, the future and our historic relation to the advent of destiny. Heidegger also tells us that if this begins with the Greeks, it is no sooner eclipsed, and thus the need for a step back, which he can do, thus the need for what he calls another beginning, to enter into this lockstep of thought, which is not a little Hegelian, to read backward, is to think. Here I am concerned to think through Heidegger's engagement with Nietzsche and Anaximander and the pre-Socratics, pre-Platonics, which he also 
precisely insightfully in a Theophrastian context in Hegel's wake calls pre-Aristotelian. And in the Black Notebooks, as already quoted in Nietzsche's terms, we meet these same pre-Platonics, pre-Aristotelians, in order to dismiss any claim Nietzsche might have to them as a fable. We don't have to do that today. We have forgotten the story of Nietzsche's pre-Platonics, or at least, and as the Germans like to say, all of this is now so long ago that it is no longer true. Heidegger does not single Nietzsche out with respect to the thinking of or decision regarding the contour and scope of ancient philosophic thought with the names of Anaximander, Heraclitus, Parmenides. Instead, it transpires that for Heidegger, Nietzsche is just what the Nazis took him to be. That is also what many Nietzsche scholars to this day take him to be, with the transhumanists in the vanguard in our own era, advocates of nihilism and aggression and war, ruling the day in earlier times, specifically the lecture courses of 1939, Nietzsche as thinker of the will to power. Characterization of Nietzsche as prophet of nihilism, as Jacques Temenot, the late Jacques Temenot, among others, was fond of characterizing Nietzsche, not less Jaspers, finds expression in the lecture course of 1940, and the written notes for a course planned for 1944-45, nihilism as determined by the history of being. Prophet of nihilism, Nietzsche is also the prophet of the Übermensch, as this remains the undying signifier of Nazi thinking, and not less the promise of both AI robotics and DNA hacking protocols. Thus, transhumanists continue to tell us that to overcome, note the Nietzschean and the Heideggerian language of overcoming, humanity is our destiny, which means that we must invoke CRISPR genes and hack ourselves into whatever futurist upgrades might be on offer. So far, factually, there are none. But transhumanists, like any cargo cult, are metaphysical beasts, and they think we should be ready for the second coming when it comes, with an appropriate upgrade out with the old human, in with the new transhuman, the übermensch. To this same extent, Heidegger thinks on the level of such transhumanists, given his context, and all Buckwarders contra the Nazis makes Nietzsche the thinker of Machenschaft par excellence. We recognize this, not in the same words, but in the same spirit from the Nietzsche lectures. And in the Black Notebooks, Heidegger writes on the history of being via or through Nietzsche, whereby Nietzsche not only fulfills metaphysics, but represents the culmination of nothing less than Machenschaft. Echoes of Die Wüste wächst which Heidegger takes over from Nietzsche, isolated from Nietzsche's context and set into the conditions of devastation that match that phrase. Thus, Nietzsche, thinking in advance, entered the desert of that devastation, which sets in with the conditionality of machination. Sorry, there we go. I did have a slide. And brings forth its first results in the exclusively subjective character of the human animal as predatory animal. Instead of the life philosophers from Jaspers to Bormler et al, Heidegger seeks to highlight the contrast with Hörderlin, an emphasis as already noted, which he makes repeatedly the Swabian Nietzsche. Heidegger does not shy away from Nietzschean ad hominem as he opposes such readings and indicts such readers, people of this sort, he says, who naturally read Hörderlin and Nietzsche, take note of Spengler and Jünger, are acquainted with Wilke 
feel romantic leanings toward the Catholic Church, make Pascal timely, and do not forget what is popular forecast to people who don't do high and low culture, could be called existential literati. Criticizing Nietzsche's laying claim to life, Heidegger explains, once again, Nietzsche cannot at all think nihilism in terms of metaphysics and the history of being with the why, but only in terms of morals and within the horizon of the thinking and positing of values. This is Franco Wolpe writes about this, Damino writes about as well. For Heidegger here, life philosophy, along with what can be marshaled under its name, has its own being historical destiny which he apostrophizes, nor should we overlook German sentiment or the antique fact of wartime. Robbing and banditry can assume various configurations in the age of the complete mastery of all means of concealment and deception. Versailles was a protoform. World wars play out on diverse levels, the lowest level we reached, when the highest intelligence and the installation of violence meet in a sheer overwhelming that has no goal unless the goal is the gigantic concealment of a gigantic emptiness and perplexity. Heidegger means it when he says that Nietzsche is the key to thinking the transition, which also alludes to the thinking of being in time, as Heidegger says, on truthlessness, the non-alethaic, which is a double negative. But what about the texts themselves? I'm cutting that, sorry. Next section. Editors, authors, and editions. In his university lecture courses on Nietzsche already in print, before the Beiträger, before the Black Notebooks, Heidegger infuriated, that's not too strong a word, Nietzsche's scholars with his claim that Nietzsche's major work, Hauptwerk, is not to be found in the published works of his lifetime, but in the Nachlass. Heidegger spends considerable effort discussing the meaning of Nachlass, not unlike the way he discusses the meaning of Zan, or Zansgeschichte. For Heidegger, and I've argued that this is the reason we have the Black Notebooks, that's indeed the Beiträger to begin with, the Nachlass of an author, properly conceived, will have everything to do with the meaning of the thinker's works, properly understood. At the same time, there is certainly no shortage of those who will tell us what Nietzsche means when it comes thank you, to Nietzsche's notebooks. That's Heidegger's stuff on Nietzsche. His, which has been around for ages, almost, but not quite, since before I was born. His will to power, which I elsewhere undertake to read following Heidegger as Nietzsche's Beiträge zur Philosophie, that would be Nietzsche's Beiträge. In this fashion, Nietzsche has had a small army of editors over the course of the past century, including, to be sure, when it comes to English versions of his work, translators who also serve in an important sense as editors, specifying what is and what is not included, in addition to how Nietzsche's thought comes to word. Translators and editors are the technical authors of the work. Thus we may note that for, I'm going to give a couple of examples, a related example in Heidegger's case, it's just in Meskir, so I had a leftover slide, so why not? Meadow Boss edits, brings out the Zolokon seminars, and many agree to Heidegger practicing good Husserlian phenomenology, fully reminiscent of being in time, explicating thereby a very accessible Daseins and illusion. So that's related to this. I promised you this would be here. But there are two editions of the Zolokon seminars, Meadow Boss's edition, published by Klostermann, and the so-called Ausgabe Letzte Hand, Peter Trafni's 2018 edition, 
also published by Klosterman. Boss's addition cost him his friendship with Heidegger, who did not approve the articulation of Dasein's analyse, particularly as Boss was inclined to read the notion of Vorspringende Fiersolver. As Boss recalls the letter he writes to Heidegger in 1946 as the, quote, perfect description of the ideal relationship of the analyst to the analysant, published this just after Heidegger died. The error here is hardly as obvious to everyone as Naomi Wolf's rather awful and just as Freudian moment of death recorded, a British legal term which, being British, does not in fact signify recorded death, that is, as Naomi Wolf claimed, execution. But Boss's reference to Heidegger's Fürsorge, foregrounding, leaping ahead by contrast with leaping in, and thus the supposed conduct of the therapist who is technically meant to refrain from intervention, partially correct as it was and well-intentioned, is nonetheless what Heidegger had to have regarded as a solecism, which is why, not as expressed in Boss's published reflections in 1977, after Heidegger's death in the Protocol and Discussion Seminary, some summaries, which is what Richardson writes about articulating the Zolokon seminars, Heidegger would refuse to give Boss, Boss's edition, his imprimatur. Heidegger's Fürsorge is not a little nuanced. In my own reflections on Heidegger's ethics, I read it as explicating its own tiny fourfold in dual positive and negative expressions. I've written about this. In fact, I've taken explicit care to do so in French, in German, and in English. This repetition through languages does not make it any easier as a point, but it's clear that just as Heidegger can tell Jean Beaufret at approximately the same time regarding the question of an ethics that he'd already written one in being and time, it's clear that he was minded to apply in the same tone to Boss, who did not quite understand the demurral as such, and even after 10 years, 1959 to 1969, of Heidegger's own seminars on the topic and shared travel and conversation that he had, likewise already articulated a Daseinsanalyse in being and time. A Daseinsanalyse, he's very explicit in the Zolokon seminars, even Boss's version, that was in no need, in, in, in no need of a supplement from either Binswanger or Boss. Such distinctions were not helpful to Boss who published the seminars anyway, needing them as fundamental to Boss's own 1970 existential foundations of medicine and psychology. And it worked, and made Boss famous for about half an hour. For Heidegger, <laughs> as we're familiar with this claim, everything is already, we've heard this a couple of times, in being and time, Heidegger two is already in Heidegger one, which again already includes Heidegger two. Another example would be the editorial intervention staged at the level of the Beitrager. Oh, here's Boss being famous, sorry. Which does not disturb most readers. This is all Heidegger 2 squared, the unpublished Heidegger, which one seems, this is again the question of style, to be able to read pretty much in any order one likes, a fact that's rendered more complicated in the case of the black notebooks, which are specified as corresponding to various datings, GA 97, for example, 1941 to 1947, but in which the entries themselves are not chronologically specified apart from page order, and once again, editorial estimation. Note 
that it makes all the difference, that we have few dates with exceptions to be sure in the black notebooks. One exception is crucial, and I cite it here as a kind of tagebook or diary entry, whereby Heidegger registers his concerns regarding the withdrawal, the German word is Versagung, of his Venia Legendi, communicated to him on the 23rd of January 1946 by the then university rector as a unanimous decision of the university senate several months earlier, 8 October 1945, emphasizing that the senate, Heidegger complains about this, did not have the conviction to render the decision in writing. That's also legally very important. In the case of the Beitrager, one has Heidegger's, I don't have a picture of the Beitrager, so I have Heidegger's grave. <laughs> Own composed and ordered manuscript preserved over the years, set as a typescript no less, circulated to students and friends, including Otto Pergler, who for this reason could share an early version of the Beitrager for Heidegger's 70th birthday in 1959, Sein as a Reichness, translated into Nietzsche in 1975 as being his appropriation in philosophy today. Friedrich von Hermann, another editor of Heidegger's works, not as successful as his successor, Peter Trafny, would edit the Beitrager, that's why we have this slide, by switching out the second chapter, Zion with the Y, nobody cares about this, but I find it significant, such that it would forever end the idea of Heidegger II being already included in the Heidegger one of the German vision of the Alpha and the Omega, that is first and last things, such that Zion, chapter two, would close the Beitrager in place of Heidegger's own envisioned final chapter, as he specifies this in his own preview as the last god. Maybe von Hermann was too pious to countenance such an ending. The Spiegel interview was disquieting enough, only a god. Too pagan, perhaps, too Greek, to use Heidegger's language, and opted instead on the thinnest of reasons. Von Hermann is very upfront about this, a slip of paper indicating, that's all the paper said, chapter doesn't belong here, but which slip of paper offers no indication about where it does belong, deciding, as only an editor can, that it should be set as conclusion to the book as a whole. Thus, Zion, which is already hugely significant, acquires still more significance for readers. This is accomplished not by argument, but simply by printing a book in the order one proposes. It was this that Nietzsche's sister, along with Rudolf Steiner, among a constantly changing team of editors, managed to do for the various editions of Nietzsche's Nachlass, published as The Will to Power. And it is what von Hermann did for Heidegger's Beiträge, and it was what Boss did for the Zollkant seminars. This is done by each and every edition, or indeed translation. It was Gardner, a philologist by formation, a philosopher by vocation, who was given to say, he had good quips, that there was no difference at all between philologist and philosopher, unless one of the two failed in their task. And we have all become, whether we mean to be or not, philologists. If Nietzsche could conclude, as he did his inaugural lecture by inverting Seneca, who called upon philologists, Gadamer's formula invokes Seneca, not Nietzsche, to become philosophers, philosophia facta est, quae philologia fuit, what was once philology has now become philosophy, and Niall Keane had great fun with this switchover. It's a complicated one in a text of mine he edited, I recall. Nietzsche's inversion would now seem to have been set on its head. Zion's Geschichte and the Other Beginning. Reading Heidegger and Zion's Geschichte in the Black Notebooks through Nietzsche led 
to a consideration of Nietzsche's Greeks, as Nietzsche's reading finds itself inconspicuously, to be sure, in Heidegger's The Greeks. At least in the case, as Heidegger reads him, as Nietzsche reads him, of Anaximander and justice or ethics. Heidegger takes care to refuse Nietzsche's relation to the Greeks, perhaps for the sake of his own articulation of his own Greeks. Furthermore, in the Black Notebooks and the Lecture Courses of the Era, Heidegger foregrounds what is, in effect, the Nazi Nietzsche as foiled. This is the Nietzsche of the will to power, understanding the will to power in nothing other than a fascistic sense, which today is a radical right on the political or else the philosophical spectrum, which turns out also to sometimes include the so-called left, and so on. Heidegger is no less on point for us today unless we undertake to take Nietzsche at his own word as opposed to Boimler or Richard Rowland or else Lukács or Habermas. Nietzsche is the thinker, as Heidegger tells us, and I've just cited the others who will tell us as well, of Western techno-imperialism or will to power or will to violence, depending upon which sovereign gets to decide the exception in any case. But we lose thereby the sense of Zionist Geschichte. There's also the concern of the current conference, as this is discussed throughout the later Heidegger, especially in the Black Notebooks. And it seems to me that Heidegger takes the position vis-a-vis -vis Nietzsche that Balls takes vis-a-vis -vis Heidegger, and that von Hamann and Travnik likewise take vis-a-vis -vis Heidegger. To this must be added the prospect of reading Nietzsche backwards, as Rainer Schormann tells us to do. This is what Heidegger told us to do, and Heidegger learned it from his teachers, the distillation, we might say, of the best of 19th century hermeneutics with respect to the text and to the tradition of philosophy overall. The problem, as it is, comes in only with the thinker, the man, Heidegger, but not less the constellation of his times, the difficulty then for thinking through what's involved in being. There was a recent invocation of the need to bring in history, and I haven't been bringing in history. I recommend that everyone go read for the French Ethan Kleinberg, and there are other examples one can also mention. I haven't done that, and I'm cutting that section. In Nietzsche's, in Heidegger's reading, excuse me, of Nietzsche's untimely meditation on the utility and disadvantage of history for life, he emphasizes the issue of life, quite as most readings of Nietzsche do, and spends a certain amount of time, as one would expect, on the issue or question of the subject, the theme of historiology. Nazi renderings such that this course is unqualifiedly, when you heard that from Lee's right, one in which he could have made good his claim to have resisted national socialism by the expedient of teaching Nietzsche on matters no less than those of historical greatness political movements as such, and exemplarity. There Heidegger engages Nietzsche on history, which he reads through Hegel, and not as Nietzsche does, and despite his second untimely meditation, through Heidegger, although, although Heidegger does refer to Schopenhauer as indeed a picture to Wagner, and also not less on the question, this is key, of the person, that is personality, that is character. One can thereby imagine that Heidegger is being rigorous as these are Nietzsche's themes and he discusses them, despite his own very well-established criticism, simply as part of the course. But this is not the case, just to the extent that personality is to Nietzsche as being is to Heidegger. Thus, for Nietzsche, who raises the question of how to do history, Nietzsche will tell you how to do history, in his own field, access to the ancient Greeks depended on the question of the person. There were no handbooks. For Nietzsche, we can have no access to the inception of ancient philosophy save via the garbage can, Diogenes Laertius, and his focus on the person, 
Ergo, I quote Nietzsche, night portrait of the history of Greek philosophy. No one can enter unless Diogenes has given him the key. I said above that personality is to Nietzsche as being is to Heidegger. And Diogenes Laertius is to classics what Nietzsche was, at least in Heidegger's day, to philosophy. But this isn't a good thing, especially not for traditional history of philosophy, especially not for questions of epistemology and science, themes Heidegger foregrounds to talk about history, about Nietzsche's discussion of slave and master morality, qua history. What happened? How does, as Nietzsche did, how does a scholar get to be scientifically dead? that is irrelevant to his own field, falling from whatever grace he once enjoyed, as favorite as Nietzsche was a Friedrich Ritschel, who had the distinction, he was a really good professor, of placing almost all the classicists, including Nietzsche, in all the chairs of German-speaking Europe, up to and including the early 20th century. Hermann Usener, the same man who pronounced Nietzsche wissenschaftlich tot, also first conceived what would ultimately become Deal's edition of Defragmented de Socratica as a joint project between Usner himself and Nietzsche himself. Subsequently, as Deals tells the story, the project was further transmitted, transmitted, passed on as a joint project between Deals and Nietzsche. Given Nietzsche's call to Basel, neither the project came to be, but we do have Deal's 1903 edition of the Pre-Socratics, arguably the most important, impact-wise, publication of the early 20th century, better than Wittgenstein, for, better than Heidegger, for philosophers and scientists alike, if also an inevitably one-sided, tilted as it could only be, given the importance of Theophrastus and Aristotle for Deal's to doxa what they say, you know, water, fire, all the things we know, quite by contrast with what Nietzsche named the person. By contrast with Heidegger's commonplace discussion of personality, Nietzsche sought to articulate a scientific comprehension, thus Nietzsche gave his 1869 inaugural lecture in Basel on the Homer question. That means the question of the person or personality or character of Homer and went on to reflect on historical persons as such. He was preoccupied with this, beginning as Nietzsche does with Jesus in the first untimely meditation, the one we don't read. Thus, Nietzsche foregrounded, quite in terms of his own field of classical philology, the personality, the person, by contrast with the doctrines doxa of the pre-Platonic philosophers, including Socrates, just as biographical texts, Diogenes Laertius, can very often be the only all-too-ontic material available to scholars. This is the stuff of classics. Underscoring the force of the scattered concentrated fragments, we do have his word as concentrated, Nietzsche emphasizes that, quote, the greatest part of philosophical prose is lost to us. But in spite of this absence, that is, on the basis of no evidence whatever, deriving, as we scholars, Nietzsche called us, we philologists so want to do, the unknown on the basis of the known, would also proceed to discount the works we don't have. They couldn't have been any good anyway. Well, this is well-founded. Details can be added. I can add them. No one will care. And it is clear that Nietzsche offers us a great deal when it comes to the pre-Platonic philosophers by now. It should be. But it can seem that we have thereby lost the thread of the history of being. History is the history of being. In the other beginning, this is the only epigraph I have, Thinking is older than poetizing, but the thinking of this beginning takes on an unrecognizability which corresponds to the essence of such thinking, the keeping silent of being with the lie. 
When in the course of his Nietzsche lectures, Heidegger reminds his students that history is the history of being, he immediately turns to the forces that oppose what he calls the clearing of refusal. Duped too long by beings caught in utter alienation, they flee into mysticism, which is the counter-image of metaphysics, or frozen mere. In the posture of calculation, they appear to values. Values, again, Volpi and Tamanir, utterly transformed into calculable items are the only ideals that still function for machination, culture, and cultural values as grist for the middle of propaganda, or the products as serviceable objects at exhibitions of our achievements, and one wonders what's going on in Freiburg after the war, decorations for parade floats. Earlier, Heidegger had explained the contemporary age in terms that he used to define Nietzsche, we've already quoted it, the age of contemporary, of consummate meaninglessness. In other words, a certain scientific certainty, machination, calculation. I don't have a slide, I apologize, but I will read it anyway. Advancing through a metamorphosis from adequatio to certitude, truth has established itself, that scientific truth, as the techno-scientific, as the securing of beings in the perfectly accessible disposability. It's also the ground for the economic wonder or transformation or miracle that is Germany. The definition is tailor-made to our conception of truth as we oppose this conception to an order ruled by what we call post-truth and old fact. For Heidegger, the prepotence of being in this essential configuration is called machination, the prepotence of unquestioning self-assurance and certitude in securing, end quote. The point for Heidegger is a play and counterplay of non-comprehension. I quote again, as if total mobilization were something in itself and not the organization of unconditional meaninglessness by and for will to power. Here to go back to our starting point, to invoke Heidegger's reading of Nietzsche, we found ourselves presented with nothing other than the Nazi Übermensch. Overman is extreme rationalitas in the empowering of animalitas. He is the animal rationale that is fulfilled in brutalitas. In fact, Heidegger argues, the age of consummate meaninglessness possesses greater powers of invention, more forms of activity, more triumphs, and more avenues for getting all these things into the public eye than any age hitherto. He had no idea about what social media could do. He misses a certain point. No part of machination does not work. No part of truth as certitude is wrong. For Heidegger, the certitude sought in an age of science, I quote, grants machination exclusive preeminence, and as a result, with the completion of modernity, history capitulates to historiology, which is of the same essential stamp as technology. The unity of these powers of machination founds a position of power for the human being. That position is essentially violent. The focus and the reference is unmistakably to the then current regime. Only within a horizon of meaninglessness can it guarantee its subsistence and ceaselessly on the hunt devote itself entirely to one upmanship. Today, we have, we skip a bit, for quite some time been saying defenders as enthusiastically as detractors, Heidegger, a Nazi, certainly a virulent anti Semite. So much so that those who use the above tone and content, bits of it, parts of it, hostile, as his lecture course on Nietzschean, pardon me, on European Nietzsche course, on European nihilism from 1940, and thus, then, thus referring to the then current regime, do not tend to register. But the Nietzsche courses, the Nietzsche lectures, are not the black notebooks. These are not drawn from a catch cache of secret writings hidden from everyone, but announced to select individuals 
like the Beiträger. This is a Vorlesung given at a Nazi institution of higher education, and those who heard Heidegger have concurred with him on his claim to resist to the Nazis thereby. It's a minor claim, but it's worth noting that at that time, little would have been needed to count as resistance. Nazism, like Trumpism, is an all-or-nothing kind of commitment, which, as Hannah Arendt argued, is characteristic of the totalitarian as such. Heidegger goes on to say that precisely in the conflict suggested the human experiences in such strife, the response of his essence to the god of being, prior gods or the gods that have been. And this too can be plain enough, being equals god, and we're cast or thrown. Venture, as Heidegger reads Wilke as saying in Wot zu Dichter, a text dedicated to Wilke, in which to be sure, Heidegger talks about her a little. Let's skip the night. Last. Notebooks. In Heidegger's prepared, I'm going to use that the way John Cage composes for piano, or calculated Nachtlass, especially the black notebooks to recall his triath, and he writes in his afterword, the manuscripts are fully worked out. They display hardly any slips of the pen. By contrast with the Beiträge, at least, as I noted this dissonant detail on Hamon and his critical slip of paper, there are no inserted sheets. Declaring, as we've seen, that the genuine Nietzsche thinks in purely in the Roman way, and in his own metaphysics could never grasp the Greek beginning of Western thinking, Heidegger goes, I've argued, singularly wrong, assimilating Nietzsche to his own opposition, which assimilation makes of Nietzsche into a fairly Roman German, or rather, one could say, more than less egregious solecism, but one that Heidegger would share with the leading Nazi interpretations of the time, and not less with readings of Nietzsche and power, and often Nietzsche and politics in our own day. To his credit, and to be sure, Heidegger is thinking Hölderlin, and not less Beuron, landscape and poetic word. If we learn little, I would argue, about Nietzsche qua Roman Greek, we learn a bit that might help us with identifying Heidegger's own tribal originations or claim, as he denounces Palatines, half-Hessians and quarter-Franconians, as Alemanni, and the Alemanni are swaggering, loud, and sly. Maybe Heidegger, relegating Nietzsche to the Roman rather than the Greek, seeks to gain for himself the chance to claim the Greek, I've argued that, as, as other beginning, and if so, this reference to the Alemannic and the local betrays some of his ambitions, the fox. As Hannah Arendt spoke of him, pointing to physiognomic traits evident in the younger man, still present as Heidegger aged. And what does Archilochus tell us? Archilochus, whom Nietzsche tells us must be set, as the ancients set him as equal to Homer, the fox knows many tricks, like being said in many ways, the hedgehog, just one, but it's all our hedgehog needs. Thank you.